Good afternoon. Actually, my goodness, good evening. It's quarter to eight. It's Steph. I'm heading home from work after my 6.30 a.m. New York morning. I just finished my last demo of the day, so an unusually long day for me. You will be happy to know that my last demo was to a private sector company whose money I will be more than happy to take, although I am not entirely convinced or sure that this private sector company is not itself getting some portion of its revenue from the public sector. We just can't tell. But anyway, <laughs> there is no purity in this fog of evil. Now, I am going to talk about a disturbing topic, and I uh, sort of caution you in advance that it is going to be disturbing, that I'm going to talk about uh, child sexual abuse, and so just, you know, forewarned is forearmed. I know that it can be a traumatic topic for some. And it's a topic I've been meaning to wrestle with for quite some time because I think it is highly, oh, I think it's a lot more prevalent than some people think. And I would like to talk about it because, surely by coincidence, this was pushed sort of to the forefront of the topics at hand by, oddly enough, watching about half of the movie called Seven Year Itch or The Seven Year Itch with some nondescript guy and Marilyn Monroe. And I watched some of this on Saturday night with Christina, and uh, we only stopped watching it because uh, we just had to get to bed. Oh, Sunday night, and we had to get to bed, so <laughs> we stopped watching it. But uh, I taped it. I just haven't got around to watching the last half. So much like the King Kong review, this is about the first half of the movie. And in my experience, the first half of movies is always better than the second half. So this, I think, is a, uh, a an interesting topic. It is a... Um, a, uh, an awful topic, obviously, in, in a lot of ways. But I think it's impossible to understand the corruption capable of being inflicted upon children by authority. I mean, we've talked about it in terms of the state, in terms of mothers, in terms of fathers, in terms of violence, in terms of moral and emotional corruption. And I've touched upon sexual uh, corruption or sexual attacks upon children because they're always attacks, right? I mean, um, no matter how seductive it is, it is always an attack. And... So, uh, I uh, would like to talk about it simply because if we do need to understand power structures of which the state is the primary um, as adults and the parents and uh, the schools are primary as children, the relationship between uh, sexual abuse and parental power is obviously quite considerable. And, of course, I have in no way, shape, or form am I implying or wish to imply or wish to be understood that there is anything innately sexual about or sexually exploitive about the parental relationship. But I think that in conversations that I've had with women over the years, I mean, obviously this is self-selecting, so with all the caveats in the world, I have actually found that about a third to a half of the women that I know experience some form of uh, premature sexual experience. And by that, I mean sort of mid-teens, like premature to mid-teens. I don't go sort of this sort of 18 or 21 thing because we're sexually mature usually at 13 or 14, so I'm talking like 15 or 16, and of course a family member, a friends, an age disparity, and all those kinds of things that go towards the enactment of pedophilia. Uh, I noticed uh, that uh, in conversations with women, and it's not like, hi, have you been abused sexually? It's not sort of an opening gambit of mine, but it is something that uh, has come up in conversations with women I've gone out with or women I've known, and of course not only is it self-selecting, but it's self-reporting, which is always kind of tricky, but in terms of the reports of child abuse, sort of my general philosophy is that if you were abused physically or emotionally or sexually, and you say, 
I was abused physically, emotionally, or sexually, then obviously it's fairly okay to say that you were. And the reason being, I mean, to, to, to some degree or another, the reason being that either you're telling the truth or you're lying and claiming to have been abused. Now, no one but an abuse victim would have such a twisted sense of value or a desire for attention or personal interest as to claim abuse when it didn't exist. Obviously, this is somebody who was abused in some form. Now, it may not be the specific form that they were uh, talked about, that they talked about, but it is some form of abuse for sure. Now, the reason that this came up when watching a Marilyn Monroe film, I'm going to give you a brief synopsis of the first half of the film, which is really, I think, the only significant part, and I'll, I'll sort of maybe watch it to the end some point this week if I get the time and uh, report on it if it sort of changes. But basically, the theme of the story is that this uh, guy who's in the publishing house, he um, sends his wife and children, uh, his wife and child, his wife and son, out of New York for the summer. And he does this because it's so hot in New York in the summer that you've got to get the women and the children out. This is before, I guess, uh, I guess they have air conditioning, it's mentioned, but it seems to be quite a common phenomenon and is required for what occurs in the, uh, in the film. So... He sends his wife away and his kid away, and they're going to be gone for a couple of months in the summer. Now, there are two, uh, for me, two general themes to the movie, and it does explain something that they talk about in this sort of show that I watch uh, with these old movies from time to time. They have interviews at the beginning where they say everything about the film, and they interview people to do with it. And one of the things that they talk about is, well, you know, it's so impossible to understand this Marilyn Monroe mystique, and it's so impossible to figure out what made her so popular and such an object of sexual desire and blah, blah, blah. And I got to tell you, this is the first, I think I saw Bus Stop many years ago, uh, but I don't really remember it, but this is the first Marilyn Monroe film that I've seen, and uh, she does remind me in this movie of Holly Golightly from uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, where they have the similar sort of... uh, dysfunctional hottie but to me it's not uh, it's not hard to figure out at all in that she is uh, the ta- she's a, a target for pedophilia i mean she is absolutely a childlike woman in a grown woman's body which is part of the sexual predation and can, can sort of basic confusion and horror that pedophiles have with regards to children and so i don't really see any sort of mystery as to uh, why she was considered to be such a paradigm or paragon of sexual attraction Now, she herself was a victim of sexual abuse. Terry Hatcher came out with it recently. There's been a whole host of other people who have talked about it. And so I don't think it's... It's something that's sort of slowly coming back out of the closet. And it is something, I think, that sort of needs to be discussed. Because in sort of the analysis of power, it is very important to talk about sexual violation because it is one of the most egregious, if not the most egregious, abuse of power uh, that is possible for any human being to commit against another human being. And... Of course, uh, in religion, it's not unknown. So in, the, in this movie, sorry, <laughs> in this movie, the guy sends his wife and, and away, and there's sort of two major themes in the movie. The one is temptation, and the other is uh, the sexualization uh, of, of children. And the first sort of thing, he's in the publishing house, and he goes to his work, and he sort of publishes racy novels, like he sort of trashes down these sort of racy novels and has them come out. As sort of bodice rippers and so on, or it's sort of classics. So in one of them, he's uh, sort of the opening joke is he's turned Little Women by Marie Louise Alcott into some sort of like girls' dormitory nudist thing or something like that. 
and he's got there's a cover picture and he he draws on the cover picture sort of like a kid uh, sort of a, a sort of smarmy kid with a black marker and he is basically making notation that the girls tops on the cover of the book should be lower to show more of their cleavage and so on and again there's something sort of infantile about this whole thing about and he's taking of course little women right little women is about girls and he's sexualizing girls through this right he's saying more cleavage more sort of sexual uh, content to the girls on the cover of this book and so there's sort of one sort of clue and again i'm not saying that any of this is conscious but uh, this was what i think seems to uh, seems to be going on now this guy is uh, his doctor's told him to quit smoking and quit drinking so of course he has the normal tussles with himself should i smoke should i drink and so on which sets up the theme of temptation right now what happens is he goes home and he pictures his wife sitting there and uh, she's away and she mothers him or at least he perceives it as as being mothered by him she's sort of indifferent she turns her cheek when he goes to kiss her she's rather sort of smarmy and supercilious and some of the condescending towards him so she doesn't really treat him as a man she doesn't treat him with any respect and so it's sort of like a bad mother right it's like a bad indifferent cold callous superior kind of mothering that's going on between himself and his wife and his son also has no respect for him and doesn't interact with him at all just continues to play some silly game with a space helmet on when his father tries to kiss him so this is a guy obviously he's getting no respect from the uh, adults or even his his own son in his life and so his he's sort of he's sitting on the um his his sort of balcony and he's trying to read this book that someone's his psychiatrist has given to him to to uh, to review wildly out of context with the other stuff that he's publishing and i don't really understand what it's doing in the in the movie other than to sort of score that this is about the unconscious rather than about the events it's about the middle age crisis of the american male or something like that and anyway so what happens is his wife appears in his imagination sitting in his chair opposite him on the balcony and he's saying you know oh you know i'm really attractive to women and she's sort of laughing and says oh what an imagination you have don't be silly i mean i find you okay but then i'm used to you right so it's this all this smarmy put down from his wife about his sexual attractiveness and so he goes off into these fantasies about how his his secretary wants to rip his clothes off but he resists and then a nurse when he got his appendix removed the previous year the nurse kept breaking into his room at night and trying to ravish him you have a certain animal something about you and then you know it's it's all over the place right like everywhere he goes in his imagination it's sort of like the secret life of Walter Mitty if you've ever read that short story everywhere he goes women are trying to rip his clothes off and he's uh he's got this fantasy about being you know incredibly attractive and of course his wife just laughs at him in a sort of cold way oh you oh what an imagination oh you're just making all this stuff up and so on And so to me this sort of clearly sets up the personality of a man who is sexually humiliated or castrated by his wife and and so we can assume sort of also by his mother and uh, possibly by his father though it does seem to be pretty feminine the way that this uh, that this works and so like naughty boys right this is sort of the the movie setup and it's pretty common for stuff in the 50s but or the 60s i guess this was So like naughty boys these guys when their sort of mommies are away when they send their wives away uh, for the summer you know they smoke they drink they go out they pick up hookers they pick up girls they go and do all this stuff they go chasing women and so on and so this is the typical sort of naughty boy and cold mother situation where the boy has is attached to the mother but has no respect for her rules because she's cold and so 
he wants to uh, uh, to do bad things, to do bad things or disapproved of things when the mother goes away. And then when the mother comes back, he's sort of guilty and gets punished, which he secretly loves because it shows uh, connection. It's all very sort of complicated and, and to some degree Freudian. But when you see that in this man's imagination, his wife is con- constantly sexually humiliating him and belittling his attraction and so on, then I think what we start to see is the pathology of a personality of a man who's pathologically insecure sexually and is constantly being humiliated by adult women, right? Adult women in his life who don't even raise the energy to counter any of his illusions. They don't even listen to him. They just brush him off with his wife just brushes them off. Oh, what an imagination you have and so on. Now, the way that it works in the movie then is that Marilyn Monroe moves in to the apartment upstairs and she knocks a plant over that uh, almost hits him, and then she comes down to apologize. And uh, he says, "Do you want to? Oh no!" He says, "Do you want to come down for a drink?" She's like, "Oh yes, it's so hot up here. I've been. I keep my patties in the in the ice box, right?" And so you get this character of Marilyn Monroe, who is immediately sexually inappropriate, right? You don't say to strange men who live in the floor underneath you that you keep your underwear in the ice box. I mean, this is obviously somebody who doesn't have any sexual boundaries. So she comes down, and she's dressed to the nines, and they have uh, champagne, and she's giggling, and she talks about a photo shoot where she was semi-nude, and then she talks about how attractive uh, it was, and how guys loved it, and so on, and she's a model, and she shows off for him, and she's very flirtation, very sexy, and of course it's Marilyn Monroe, so she's pretty, she's got a nice figure, she's got great skin, and so you have this woman who is invited down late at night to a man, she doesn't have any clue who he is, right? She's invited down to his apartment. She shows up dressed to the nines. She hangs around. They get they drink quite a bit, and she talks about being nude in a photograph. She talks. She she lifts her top to stand in front of his air conditioner. She's incredibly flirtatious, while absolutely unconscious, it would appear, of her own sexuality. And this is a this is a very complicated thing, which we won't really get much of a chance to talk about at length today, but. This unconscious sexuality, this projection of intensely desiring sort of uh, seductive action, while at the same time being completely innocently bewildered by any sort of response to that, is typical of uh, sexual abuse victims. And it doesn't mean that all sexual abuse victims display this kind of unmanaged and hypersexuality, seductiveness followed by, what do you mean, right? So there's this woman who's like uh, dressed to the nines and boobs half hanging out of her top and she's flirty and she's sexy and she's you know sucking on a popsicle and looking up coyly and batting her eyelids and then when you ask her out she's like well where would you get that idea or i mean this is part of the sexual humiliation that he's experiencing at the hands of this woman and so on and so uh, he does all the sli- slimy things he says, oh i'm not really married and then i am kind of married and i have a kid but he's just a little one and he doesn't really count and so he's basically throwing himself at marilyn monroe and there's a constant undertow of childlike uh, ch- uh, the ch- the child woman, right? The woman with the she's like half retarded in this movie. Uh, the woman with the body of an adult, but she's got the mind of a child. And to me, that is simply an acceptable way of talking about pedophilia, right? Whenever you see these kinds of women who are sexy and seductive, but you know, kind of clueless, right? These sort of Alicia Silverstone kind of character, then to me, you're simply talking in a socially acceptable manner or portraying in a socially acceptable manner. Uh, pedophilia, right? Because when you have these adult women with these retarded, childlike brains, to me, it's just pretty obvious what's being talked about. But do you know? Let me know if uh, if you think otherwise, of course. And so, what happens then? Sort of when I was, sort of had my suspicions at this point, but the clincher for me came when she says, "Oh, let's have a party. Let's do this. Let's do that." She's dancing around the room very seductively, and so on. Again, absolutely a constant invitation to a sexual advance. 
and a constant provocation of a man that she knows is not loyal to his wife, that she knows has invited him down, that is uh, nervous and obviously attracted to her, and so on. And she says, oh, I, you know, oh, you know, guys keep asking me to get married. They keep asking to marry me all the time. Oh, whatever, right? And uh, so what happens is he says, I know some piano. She says, oh, play something for me. So then he sits down. He says, oh, well, I haven't played this in a while, but let me give it a shot. He cracks his fingers, and then he launches into Chopsticks. Again, Chopsticks is a child's song, right? So she's like, oh, I know that one. And she sits down next to him. And she's uh, crying out, you know, you know, this kind of thing, and playing chopsticks and throwing her head back and laughing. And it's a very childlike uh, situation, right? It's a very, this is what a little girl of about eight or so would do, is sort of throw herself into chopsticks, which is what a child would learn when she's playing the piano, throw her head back and sing in this giddy sort of whatever manner. And what he does then is he grabs her, and tries to kiss her and pushes her back off the bench, and they fall over in a sort of violent manner. And I guess it's supposed to be funny, but it doesn't seem uh, that funny, because, of course, by this point, I'm sort of, this thing's got pedophilia written all over it. But um, what happens then is that he jumps up, and she sort of uh, slowly gets to her feet and says, oh, I, I, sort, of, I sort of lost tra- track of what happened for a moment there. Now, that to me was the real clue. That's the final clue about um, sexual abuse uh, on a child, because... This level of dissociation is absolutely typical of people who experience trauma, but people who experience sexual trauma, and particularly when they're children. This dissociation is completely... Uh, she, like, she got kissed in a violent manner. She got thrown off a bench, and uh, they fell down in a heap together, which is a definite attack, right? And he experiences it as an attack and feels guilty about it as an attack. And her comment is not slap him in the face and say, what the hell do you think you're doing? You're a married man, and blah, 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 right? But what she does is she sort of gets off half days and says, oh, I, 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 told, I sort of lost track of what happened there, which is really not that hard to do, right? I mean, because he just attacked her, right? I mean, he just sort of threw her off the bench and tried to kiss her and so on. And so the fact that she simply is unable to process a sexual attack or an attack upon her in a, a very aggressive manner and continues to stay in the apartment and you continues to smile at him and joke with him and then says, you're a very nice man as she leaves and so on, that, to me, is indicative of a child who has been assaulted sexually, is unable to process it, has no other option but to comply. And I'm not saying that it's, it's possible that a woman who's been assaulted sexually as a child, she will grow to adulthood, and it's certainly possible that she is going to have sort of the physical body of a mature woman but be sort of stunted intellectually and emotionally in this sort of childlike Marilyn Monroe fashion. So it could be that this is not a direct analogy to pedophilia, but what I think occurs in the film that's very clear and very strong and maybe a clue into this kind of uh, uh, ghastly mindset is that this man who is experiencing sexual humiliation from adult women, from adult women, let's just say from women who have a sense of self, from women who have... Uh, some sort of judgment with women who can look at him sort of objectively like he's a really plain-looking, skinny, short fellow without any particular sexual charisma, without... I mean, he's, he's a boy, right? He's a boy trapped in a man's body in the way that sort of Marilyn Monroe is a girl trapped in a woman's body and so on. Well, a clue to me about the motivation for him to attach himself to Mar- Marilyn Monroe, and of course she's pretty and so on, but... The fact that she doesn't seem to have any clue about 
whether he's attractive or whether he's not or whatever, the fact that she is completely clueless about any sort of adult matters as a whole is to me an indication of why somebody who's sexually humiliated by adult women might turn towards children, might turn towards girls, right? More impressionable, less ability to defend themselves, less ability to judge him as an adult, like to look at his life uh, from a sort of adult standpoint and say, okay, so this is who you are, I got it, you're really not that attractive, I've seen better, I know better, I've you know been with men who are different, and so on. So whereas he's experiencing sexual humiliation of a pretty extreme form from his wife, he then is um, uh, tempted to turn towards a, um, a, uh, a woman who is uh, sort of this childlike woman. So she doesn't have the intelligence or experience or emotional maturity to judge him objectively as a not-that-attractive, kind of wilted, kind of pathetic, kind of faded man. So in his... In her eyes, because she just pours her effusiveness into anyone, and you really do get the sense that it could be anyone in the room. It could be a mannequin in the room that she's interacting with. She's still going to be bubbly and effervescent and sexy and twirling and dancing and lifting up her top and taking drinks and eyeing him seductively and, you know, giggling and sitting next to him and so on. It could be anyone in the room. And so that is sort of important that he is drawn towards this woman's complete lack of experience, lack of judgment, lack of defenses, lack of discrimination, which combined with her giddy, idiot, eight-year-old brain is, I think, as, as Christina put it, let's just sort of like a male fantasy. And I don't think it really is a male fantasy, to be honest with you. I mean, obviously, Mallory Monroe was a pretty girl, but is it a male fantasy to have this half-retarded child woman uh, jumping around you and so on and to know that uh, she's really not going to be able to appreciate your identity as a human being to be basically just some sort of interchangeable penis with all the other penises hanging and flopping around in the world <laughs> I don't think that's a male fantasy I mean it may be some men's fantasy but I wouldn't say that those men's sexuality is particularly well developed or healthy because a man's uh, sexuality should I think uh, in, in the best of all worlds respond to sort of an intelligent and a courageous and virtuous uh, woman and so on. I mean, that would be the the ideal, right? I mean, that we resp- sexuality responds to virtue and strength and maturity and confidence and all that kind of stuff, rather than being drawn towards silly, giggly, idiotic, uh, flirty, but sexless kind of, kind of women. And so what I see in this particular kind of fantasy is that you have a man, uh, you know, rejected and humiliated by his wife from a sexual standpoint, which, of course, means that the wife has her own problems with, with uh, uh, sexuality, right? That she's with this kind of guy. So you have this uh, guy rejected by his own wife who then turns towards an undiscriminating and idiotic, half-retarded girl. This girl is then incredibly flirty, puts herself in incredibly compromising situations where just about anything can happen. And she's completely unconscious of the danger, incredibly flirty. This is part of the pathology that comes out of being sexually abused as a child, that you put yourself continually into horrifying and dangerous situations. Uh, you know, that which we don't acknowledge, we repeat until we acknowledge it, right? I mean, this is sort of the kind of behavior that occurs when we simply don't acknowledge the horror of our own past, right? So if, you, if you're sexually abused and you come up with even the slightest shred of an excuse for it in any way, shape, or form, or you have 
any you don't press charge i mean i'm talking about if there was some ideal system but let's just talk about it right i mean as far as pressing charges in the current system don't worry about it if you don't press charges against whoever sexually abused you if you don't go straight to the authorities i mean the dro authority or whatever and 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 you know get this person uh, taken out of circulation if you lie about it if you reject it if you say well it wasn't that bad if you you are inevitably going to be drawn back into these kinds of situations the truth will out. The truth is that, that this is one of the most horrifying things that can happen to a human being, to a child. And, you know, it has to be acknowledged. It has to be worked through. It has to be dealt with. And so you, so that you can have a healthy relationship with your own sexuality and with, you know, authorities and so on. And you'd be, not be so defenseless and so on. But it's certainly been uh, my experience that the women who, uh, and I, of course it's mostly women I've talked about with this as so the odd man, but mostly it's women that the women who have gone through this kind of stuff do end up in exploitive relationships over and over and over again until they actually sort of do some sort of serious therapy and, and go to sort of, uh, uh, you know, particular sort of sessions, whether group or individual, where they sort of really work through this stuff, where they no longer do anything but, you know, hate the perpetrators, hate the abusers and so on. But a lot of the women are sort of baffled by it. They return to it like your tongue goes back to a sort of missing tooth area. Uh, they can't let it go, they can't process it, and they end up in these same kind of exploitive and dangerous situations over and over again. Well, this is exactly what's occurring to this Marilyn Monroe character. So she's basically pushing this guy's sexual buttons, knowing, I mean, she's obviously, she's she's a, a model in the movie, so she's perfectly aware of how attractive she is. But she continues to sort of shove her bubbies in this guy's face and so on, shake her, shake her butt all over his living room, you know, in the middle of the night when no one else is around and so on. And this is an indication that she's perfectly aware of how attractive she is. And she says, oh, yeah, men keep asking me to marry them all the time and so on. And then later in the movie, you probably know this famous scene where um, she's standing over the subway uh, grate and the, um, the sort of blows her skirts up and so on. And just, you know, to give you a sense of how not so much with the healthy sexuality Marilyn Monroe was when the scene was originally uh, the original take of the scene, uh, she actually wasn't wearing any underwear, so everyone got to see her hoo-hoo, and that's really, I mean, you know you're going to be stepping over this grate. This is not a woman who's got a very good uh, uh, sense of or control of uh, her own sexuality, and of course, in her life, right, she was married to these powerful sort of abusive men, and she ended up uh, being a sexual plaything for, I think, Jack Kennedy or something like that, and died in sort of mysterious, maybe killed, maybe killed herself kind of circumstances, but, you know, not a woman who was very happy and very well. And not an unintelligent woman, and some of the stuff that you sort of quotes that you read about her, she wasn't an idiot, but this uh, childlike woman with the hyper-developed sexuality puts herself in dangerous situations, and then when she is attacked, immediately forgets it. I mean, this is, this is an indication of a pretty significant deficit in reality processing in this kind of uh, personality. And so the prevalence of the, this woman as an icon, right? I mean, I think the, what is it, the, the, there are sort of three most famous icons in the world there's Jesus and I can't remember the other one and then there's Marilyn Monroe right she's a complete icon because she is so hypersexual and yet so brain dead at the same time and I think that that is a uh, a kind of uh, metaphor for pedophilia where the sexually rejected male and of course this can happen with women as well but let's just talk about the men for the moment that the sexually rejected male who cannot uh, achieve or win any kind of respect from a discriminating adult female, then must turn to uh, it, it sort of exact his sexual vengeance on uh, children, right? The sort of, I'll show you and, and somebody who looks up to him and, and sort of wide-eyed wonder and trusts him and so on that he can't help but um, 
uh, be drawn to that sort of from a sexual standpoint, although pedophilia is not so much about sexual gratification as it is just, you know, a form of the most uh, the horrifying form of rape, which is really the exercise of power and aggression, right? I mean, if he feels uh, that he's been humiliated by his mother, by his wife, I mean, these kinds of uh, men who grow up with a lot of hostility towards uh, towards women as a whole because they, they themselves have not processed that it wasn't women as a whole that abused me, it was my mother in particular, right? That's, sort of the, that's the big thing that you need to do with your own past is to say, you don't want to sort of blunt your own pain by generalizing, right? So it's not, uh, you know, my mother was a bitch. It doesn't mean that women are bitches because, you know, it's just my mother, right? I mean, it's not all of them. I mean, good heavens. How unjust and unfair would that be? And so... Because these men have uh, not differentiated that kind of pain and humiliation, they then uh, sort of extrapolate, they, they blunt their own pain, as as most people tend to do when experiencing early trauma. They say, well, it, you know, my mother had to do it because that's what women are, right? Women are ball-breaking, busting kind of whatever, right? Uh, uh, and so they have to say, well, it wasn't my mother. Uh, it wasn't my mother's fault because all women do this, and my mother is a woman, and therefore she had to do this, and so on. It's a way of just blunting your own pain and getting rid of the moral responsibility of the people who abuse you, to generalize it into universal abstracts. Sort of, this is what uh, women do, and so all that happens is you get to blunt your own pain and not have to blame your own mother uh, at the cost of living in a paranoid world view of evil matriarchy and so on. So I don't think it's a very good solution, but this is pretty common. So these men then in order to avoid the pain of rage of humiliation, particularly sexual humiliation, which they probably went through when they went through puberty with their own mothers who, you know, God knows what happened to their own mothers. It's all quite a chain, right? They then end up with this incredible hostility towards uh, women and this great deficit in their sexual confidence and so on, which they then take out on, uh, you know, children and so on. I mean, this is not that, uh, uh, sadly, it's not that uncommon. I mean, this sort, of, this sort of problem. I'm not saying this is the be-all and end-all of the pathology of pedophilia because there's lots of complicated stuff that's uh, going on with this kind of personality structure. It is, of course, I mean, the most evil crime, I think, that, that's, uh, that's capable of a human, other than murder, maybe. Human beings are capable of committing, so it is uh, a completely heinous and, and evil situation that uh, these, uh, these people end up uh, putting the children in and, and committing upon the children. But I just thought it was interesting to look at how this kind of stuff is portrayed in movies. And uh, somebody keeps bugging me on the board about doing a Fight Club review, and I'd, I'd like to do one. I'd have to sort of read the synopsis again. But uh, you, you can see this in, as well in, in Fight Club, right, that there's this um, Helena Bonham Carter character. I can't remember her name in the movie, but she sort of lies back after being... Uh, done like a Viking by Brad Pitt, and she says, my God, I haven't been bleeped like that since grade school. And, you know, she's quite a long way from Room with a View, which was one of her earlier films, where she was in this sort of Merchant and Ivory postcard production based on an E.M. Foster novel that's actually very good. I would recommend it. I have not enjoyed any other E.M. Foster novel that I've ever read, and I've only read Howard's End and Maurice, but if you get a chance to read Room with a View or see the movie, I'd certainly recommend it. It's a great film. So, uh, sorry to talk about a topic like this. I think it's interesting, and I think it's interesting to start looking at this. I mean, there are some more contemporary actresses that play this kind of character, sort of Juliette Lewis and so on. But uh, I think that it's important to look at, again, the sort of deeper and secondary layers in films to sort of figure out why they have the kind of appeal that they do. And I think this film in particular, uh, especially the comment where she says, oh, I sort of lost track of what happened there when she's attacked. It's a clear indication that this is a woman who has experienced significant sexual abuse as a child, is absolutely defenseless, and is uh, completely uh, prey 
to uh, additional sexual exploitation as an adult, which sadly was not just the life of Marilyn Monroe's character, but the story of her own life as well. So thank you so much for listening. I will talk to you soon. Please come by and donate, and maybe I'll talk less about pedophilia in the future. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.